gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Hello, 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 and welcome to another feature show here on Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. My name is David Hockney, and the old saying goes that money makes the world go round. Money makes me go round the world. And in some cases, a certain money in the bank can make you a world champion. And that's going to be the subject of today's show. So since at time of recording, another Money in the Bank pay-per-view has come and gone with yet another successful cash-in on the women's side and a men's contract that's yet to be foretold. Uh, We'll be looking back today at some of the best and worst Money in the Bank winners. So much like our previous debate shows, this is going to be a sort of roundtable format. And I'll explain the rules to the guys right after I introduce them. So starting off, uh, it is SDL's work experience boy, Ryan Dalgleish. Howdy, how we doing? Uh, it's good to have you on. Um, you know, just think of it this way, Ryan. You know, when, if you get promoted to full-time host on Saturday Draft Live, you might actually earn a, a decent wage to get some money in the bank. How does that sound? I'm counting the days. <laughs> All right, well, I look forward to... Ha- what you're like on this sort of roundtable format because i think this is one of your first times doing like a proper debate show isn't it the first one i've only done um a history one before this so this will be fun there it is uh coming up next is a uh a man who's sort of in his own sort of grown into a new venture you know with some videography and photography benefits here but you know maybe somewhere down the line it'll get him some money in the bank as well it's uh, mr daniel campbell yeah, I'm still waiting on that. Nah, um, but here, the, the money's... like It depends on what you charge because there'll be photographers and videographers who will, you know, price quite high. depends on the quality of work. But me, I'm a... I am me, so my work is priceless. <laughs> Much like a Money in the Bank contract is. I think that's a very accurate description. And last but certainly not least... It is uh, the man from Chi-Town himself, uh, currently forever second place in the Saturday Draft Live Fantasy <laughs> League. It's Mr. Chris Anthony Lopez. <laughs> Damn, Mr. Second Place. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> yeah, you know, there was a time it was uh, referred to as the Nathan Fisher Award. So I think uh, we'll call it the, the Chris Anthony Lopez Award from now on. Oh, no. I hate that. <laughs> oh, just coming up short. No. Forever, forever second place. Yep. Oh, Actually, it's God. in the small print that if anyone wants to change the name of it, they have to face Nathan in an Iron Man match. So, you decide on that one, Dave. <laughs> you know what? I think it would make great, um, great podcasting, especially if it was aired on Saturday Draft Live, which is one of the many shows you can see on our back catalogue, along with myself, Ryan, Jack Graham, and Scott McLeod. We also have ESSR Central, hosted by Ross comes out hopefully on a weekly basis uh, uh, but we also have a, a whole back catalogue of feature shows which you can catch on Spotify, iTunes, Anchor and all good Android podcasting sites and don't forget to follow us on our socials Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Suplex Retweet get involved with the community page we're always uh, looking for conversations around our next feature show and we've got plenty today which we'll go through uh, at some point but Gents, this is our best and worst Money in the Bank winners show. Now, before we recorded, I asked you all to pick a favourite Money in the Bank winner and your least favourite winner. So, And the way the roundtable format works is you have to argue your case as to why you think they are the best or worst Money in the Bank winner. We're going to do it in two halves. And 
then you have to argue you know why your pick deserves that moniker and you will be going up against the rest of the panel i will be primarily on hosting duty and just to make sure that nothing gets out of hand and by the end of the first half uh we will have a vote to decide who put forward the best case on who was the best and worst the only rule is you cannot vote for yourself so i want to see some good clean debate here nay shots below the belt and um yeah that's all i have to say really so I'm going to kick things off. Let's begin with, let's get the worst stuff out of the way first. Let's start with our worst Money in the Bank winners uh, to start off with. And I'm going to start with the work experience boy. I'm pushing you at the deep end here, Ryan. So please present your case. Who do you think is the worst ever Money in the Bank winner? Well, I had to deliberate quite a long while about this, but I genuinely think that Otis was the worst ever Money in the Bank winner. Uh, Mm. I think in terms of Initially they had with it, and many directions to go out with Otis, they decided to go with none of that, and probably the worst choice is possible. So, for, for context, Otis won the 2020 Money in the Bank, correct? So, before yep. this, Otis was in a romantic storyline with Mandy Rose. Uh, Pinnacle and of his off- career. Yes. <laughs> and he got into the match by beating uh, Dolph Ziggler, who was in that love triangle beforehand, right? Uh, he wins this Money in the Bank match, which was amazing, by the way, my ad. It was uh, climbing up the uh, WWE headquarters to the top. And you'll remember this match because King Corbin actually committed murder. Uh, we <laughs> also murder. Had... Oh. Uh, rip. We also had AJ Styles, Daniel Bryan, Rey Mysterio and Alistair Black, uh, in which Otis wins the match after breaking the ladder, stepping on it. Um, which I enjoyed at the time, I will add, right? But this is where it kind of goes up uh, downhill. So, uh, himself and Tucker uh, enter a feud with Mid- the Miz and Morrison, who constantly try and steal the briefcase uh, for th- the next month or two. They steal the briefcase, and then suddenly it's not the contract is not in there because it's in Otis's lunchbox, right? Which is already <laughs> ridiculous, right? Uh, and then they eventually steal Otis's lunchbox a week or two later to then find out they have the wrong lunchbox because he's Otis and he eats a lot and he's got more than one lunchbox Uh, (laughs) I'm reading my notes and I just get depressed about this every time I look at it Um, eventually this leads to the Miz and Morrison uh, forcing uh, Otis and Tucker to go to uh, what is it they called it? Court. That's what they called it. <laughs> Law and Otis, I believe. Wrestler's Court. Yes, so uh, GBL was the, the, the judge and he oh, everything about absolute rubbish to be honest. Um, that This was a two-parter, it went on for about 10 minutes and then GBL eventually rules that Otis is uh, he has a right to hold on to the briefcase as long as possible and then the Miz for the first time we've ever seen this, hands over a briefcase to remove someone else's briefcase by bribing GBL so that GBL changes his mind and uh, says that they have to fight at Hell in a Cell to determine who can have the briefcase. <sighs> it's hard to read this. I'm just annoyed about how they approach this. Um, they eventually 
go to do this match Hell in a Cell, and then Otis is turned on by Tucker, uh, which results in The Miz winning this contract. Now, my main problem with this is I feel like there's many, many ways I could have done this further, right? First of all, my main gripe is that if you don't have potential with Otis, why not make the storyline so that he gives it to Mandy and then Mandy cashes in? That's what my that's my main gripe about this, right? Because that's you can't you can't really give Otis a world championship. It just seems a bit odd. But you can give it to someone like Mandy, right? Or you can have a field cash in, which would work in Otis's character. He could be someone that fails to cash in a money in the bank against whichever champion it is. Or he could have cashed in on a Intercontinental or US champion. That would have worked. Or in simple Otis, because who Otis is, he could forget to cash in. Either of these storylines, literally anything could be better than this. And that's why I've got such a gripe with it and I really hate it. Okay, I think that's uh, quite, a, quite a very detailed explanation there. Um, Daniel, do you remember the manner in which Otis actually won the briefcase to begin with? Uh, if I remember correctly, it was Styles and Corbin on top of the ladder, or someone else, I might be wrong. And no, no, yep. He, they, are, they fight with the briefcase, and eventually it, it tumbles out of their hands and into Otis's. He didn't yeah. even climb up the ladder and retrieve oh, it. Yeah. It fell to him. It was almost as if it was literally handed to him. Oh, and he's kind of going, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It's okay. Wait a minute, do that, do that again? <laughs> I didn't hear you. Do that one more time? It's okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. <laughs> that's all he was... That's all he was kind of there for, you know, a little bit of comic relief. Uh, Chris, could he, a guy like Otis, the way he was booked, you know, alongside Tucker, you know, they were basically came as a double act, but having him break out in this sort of love triangle with Dolph Ziggler and Mandy Rose, I, I mean, did it, did this feel more like just a comedy act rather than, you know, somebody who could be credibly taken as a world champion contender? Oh, 1000%. They gave him the briefcase because it was funny. Like there, there was like there. I don't see another logical explanation behind it. You could have given it like those two guys you mentioned, right? That were fighting for the briefcase, Styles or Corbin. At the time, both of those kind of made sense. Like, oh, okay, those are fun, and one would be revered, and one is going to be booed heavily because no one likes Baron Corbin or whatever version of Corbin he was at the time. But yes, thank you. And when. Otis got it. it was like oh okay and people were happy because you know people liked Otis he was funny he was charming to an extent heavy machinery was was over but then once everyone like came to and we all realized that Otis was Mr. Money in the Bank we quickly realized oh my god how is this going to happen and mm -hmm. we never found out yeah, bear in mind as well, he'd never actually won a championship up to that point. I think he's only one of a handful of people to actually have won the briefcase without previously holding another championship, which is crazy to think about, you know, the fact that they're putting so much investment in this guy, you know, turned it didn't really turn out to be that big a thing other than just, you know, like a, a sideshow comedy act a little bit. But Ryan, I did want to raise one point that you raised, which I think a lot of past Money in the Bank winners have actually... They've sort of personalized the briefcase in their sort of own individual way. Like in Otis's case, he had the lunchbox. And yeah. 
do you think that sort of was probably either one of the only good things about it or was it more just sort of something that they, they managed to tailor it to sort of fit his character in a way? Yeah, I'll give it that. Um, there's been a few times, obviously, as you said in the past, where people have personalised it towards them. Uh, I think Lois did do it that well with the lunchbox. And yes, it was entertaining, but I just generally think the whole idea was ridiculous as well. <laughs> mm. Yeah, and obviously being on the top of WWE headquarters in a time of the pandemic and stuff. Uh, Daniel, do you think they're... I think the guys sort of mentioned, you know, was this more just for funny entertainment factor rather than trying to seriously make a new star? I just have to remind you guys, it was peak Vince McMahon during an era where there was no audience to dictate how he should be doing things. <laughs> of course this was for laughs. Yeah. If that um, was the case, they'd have been as well just having it be, oh, look, he's won money in the bank. Hey, wait, he's cashed it in for the 24-7 championship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, just want to throw this out to you guys, uh, just as a collective, before we move on to our next uh, case. Um, obviously, you know, during this time, it was the pandemic. It was a cinematic-style match in WWE headquarters. You had a couple of good spots with AJ and Brian in Vince's office. But <laughs> was there... Do you think any of the other guys you mentioned, you know, AJ, Alistair Black, Brian, Corbin, Mysterio, do you, would you have rather have seen any of those guys walk away with the, that, the briefcase that time around? And if so... Who would you rather have seen? Alistair Black. He was my favourite to win yeah. that year. Uh, I think mm-hmm. that, 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 was, that, was, that was his year. That's the correct answer. Alistair <laughs> Black is the correct answer, yeah. I'll go with the majority, Alistair Black. Like there He would go. not have a lunchbox. Although then He'd again, have a mini coffin. Then again, Corbin did kill him and Mysterio <laughs> in that match, so I suppose there was no way he was going to win either way. <laughs> And just to talk about that match for a second, I that's probably up until the finish. That's probably my favorite Money in the Bank match yeah, because really of how good. creative it's it is. Really good. It's it's so much fun to watch during a time mm. where we had no idea what the hell was going on and how they were going to do it at their mm. HQ. And it was both the men's and the women's matches were happening happening at the same time. Oh yeah, I forgot I, they were at the same time and they're all kind of mm, crossing yep. one another. And like, Paul it was Heyman so the... much fun. It was it was <laughs> and they sort of crossed, watching they saw, it. They Go crossed ahead. over with each other as well, didn't they? Yeah. They had the food fight a little bit. It was fun. It was a really good match. Mm-hmm. But you know, I agree with you, Chris. I think it was actually quite entertaining right up into the finish. You know, it was just such a cheap way to give probably the least likely person who was gonna win it a briefcase. And uh yeah, I have to agree with you. You know, it was it was very good up until the finish, and I remember sitting there thinking Oh come on! Seriously, that's yeah. how they're going to do it. Like, I loved it, and I it just completely, it, <laughs> it completely <laughs> deflated it. It completely, de- it. it completely deflated my interest in that match. I thought, right, this, that's the reason I'm probably not going to watch this back and you know feel happy about it. But yeah, thank you, Ryan. That was the the first nominee for worst Money in the Bank winner, and that goes to Otis. Next up, Chris Andre Lopez. Please present oh, your case. Yeah. So. Upon hearing the question, where's the money in the bank winner, you know? Um, I could have gone with somebody like Otis, but Otis never really even got to cash in an attempt. So I'm like, that's, that's like, he, he stopped halfway there, so I didn't want to pick on him anymore than I already have. Um, there are a couple other guys like that where they uh, lost their briefcase, you know, uh, Ken, Ken, Ken Kennedy infamously, or Ken Anderson. No, well, the same thing. Ken Anderson. Yeah, yeah, Kennedy, yeah, yeah. 
Um, they did the same thing. There are folks who lost their money in the bank match, which doesn't, which doesn't happen too often. But one thing really bothers me. One thing really bothers me about the whole money in the bank gimmick. And it's when you announce it early. When you give your opponent a heads up that, hey, I'm going to cash in my money in the bank on you at this date, this time, this match. And one sticks out to me way more than the others because of who it was, what the hell was going on at the time, and why the hell they would do it. My pick for the worst money in the bank, cash in, winner, whatever, is Braun Strowman. Mm. Braun Strowman was white hot during a very during a decent stretch of time in WWE, particularly 2018. My man was on fire. He was over like Rover. He was killing it. He was crushing the game. They gave him money in the bank at a time when really he necessarily didn't need it, but folks popped off for it anyway. They love seeing Braun Strowman win because typically it guarantees them a world title match and victory for the most part. History proves that. So Braun wins the money in the bank and he has a couple of fun feuds, you know, um, with the Shield and Kevin Owens. Uh, some of those th- cases for that briefcase. But Braun was, again, white hot at the time. And when you announce to Roman Reigns after a failed cash-in attempt because those dastardly boys in the shield had to do something about it, <laughs> you give Roman a heads up. Roman, who one of the has been probably the most divisive superstar in WWE history regardless of his personal stuff aside the character Roman Reigns is incredibly divisive still now and especially at the time Braun goes up to him and says I respect you meet me at hell in a cell and we're gonna do it inside <laughs> the hell in a cell we're gonna do this whole thing and Roman shakes his damn hand they shake hands and agree on this shit me, I love the Money in the Bank gimmick, and I guarantee when we talk about the best ones especially, we're going to talk about how, oh, they're spontaneous, and they're great, and they're rad, whatever. But you, okay, Braun, you immediately tell Roman, I'm cashing in that Money in the Bank so we can properly build this Money in the Bank cash-in. And then we get to the match. Matches whatever. Brock Lesnar shows up to make it even better. Lesnar some way involved in this match and the match ends in a no contest a hell in the cell match mind you ends in a hell in the ends in a no contest and bronze money in the bank cash in fell in void he doesn't get the briefcase back what and then shortly afterwards Braun Strowman goes into a feud with Drew McIntyre and Dolph Ziggler mm-hmm. what what, what 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 happened? None of this makes sense. The the rules that we've known over the past I don't know decades of Hell in the Cell, you know, this match has to end in a pinfall or disqualification or uh, or or a damn submission, not disqualification. <laughs> so not only oh no contest, excuse me. Not only do you announce it ahead of time to this white hot baby face. You're going to tell the other guy 
that WWE wants us to love. You're going to make us watch this damn pay-per-view, Hell in the Cell, which typically those pay-per-views are not great. And the match is all right. Brock Lesnar shows up, rips the damn door off, causes a no contest in a Hell in the Cell match. And then the guy who won the briefcase does not get his briefcase back and is dropped into a mid-card feud with Dolph Ziggler and Drew McIntyre, two folks he'd already been somewhat feuding with beforehand. What a missed opportunity. Yeah. And that's the part that pisses me off the most. It, it's a no, huge I, I, missed I understand. opportunity. Yeah, I understand your frustration as well. Because I'm looking at the the notes here from the cash-in itself. Um, obviously, announcing ahead of time, it was noted he actually relinquished the, the contract on August 27th of that year to basically guarantee his shot at the pay-per-view. Yeah. So not yeah. announcing ahead of time. And, you know, you know what you were saying about Hell in a Cell ending in a no contest? Well, try saying that to the Seth Rollins and The Fiend the following year. Like, oh, oh two yeah. horrendous finishes to Hell in a Cell two years event. in a row. Garbage. Trash. Mm. Hate it. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, do you have anything to add with regards to how they booked the, the Hell in a Cell main event that year? And more specifically, you know, why on earth would they go with a, a cash-in ahead of time when Braun Strowman was basically almost christened to be the next uh, Universal World Champion? Right, so first of all, I remember... I, I, before this conversation, I didn't remember much about it, but as soon as Chris started talking about the ahead advance, I remember watching... Uh, uh, it come back to me, how he cashed in, and... Um, I think, see, when it comes to the likes of cashing in and telling them in advance, that only works with like an, an like an arrogant big man giant against someone a lot smaller in frame and size, where it's like it doesn't matter. I'm going to do it right then and there, and you can't do anything about it. That's the only time that would work, and I, I don't like doesn't work with a champion like Roman Reigns. Man's huge. He's got friends. You know, it's Roman Reigns. It doesn't work. So, yeah, I definitely agree that it's absolutely ridiculous. And uh, uh, no finish either. Um, makes you makes you wonder about what this hell in the hell is going to be like because it got a bad track record. But I definitely agree with you, Chris. It's not mm-hmm. a very good uh, <laughs> uh, Money the Bank winner at all. And it should have been a lot better. Like, he was, he was the guy that you not only believed it would have been a world champion on his own, but you gave him the automatic world championship match and essentially victory just for him to relinquish it, get a title match anyway, and then that match to end in a no contest, and then he's just screwed out of it. And then later when he did get the big belt, it was ass. Like this, that, that whole storyline with Roman and Hell in a Cell, like that was the beginning of the end for Braun Strowman as a character and within his time in WWE. That, ki- that killed his, his momentum. Why, yeah. why sacrifice him to Brock and Roman again? And who knows, we're still saying that four years later. But, like, what What was the point? Why? why what, a, what a missed opportunity for them and for him. Uh, Daniel, you've been a bit quiet so far. Um, but looking at the the field he actually won the contract against you know, you've got Bobby Roode, Finn Balor, Kevin Owens, Kofi Kingston, Rusev, Samoa Joe and the Miz. Uh, but let's also not forget that he actually defended the contract against Kevin Owens at SummerSlam that year which he won in a, in a 90 second squash match. Like is there any way that 
they could have redeemed Braun Strowman's run as Mr. Monster in the Bank. Just don't have him announce it. Don't have him challenge Roman for a title match. Have Roman face mm. any other like person at Hell in a Cell. And then Strowman comes out and picks the bones. Easy. Simple as that, yeah. You know, no beating around the bush there. But again, just to throw it out to all of you there. Um, I still remember when we discussed this back in 2018 on the when we were previewing SummerSlam's card before the show. And some of us were saying that Braun Strowman didn't need the briefcase at all. Uh, and I don't think any of us picked him to win apart from one person. Because, you know, it's usually the odds-on favourite doesn't tend up winning the briefcase. But what does that say about, you know, sort of push you, you're pushing Strowman closer and closer towards a world title reign only for them to just pull the rug out from under him like so? Is that really his fault or do you think that's just booking fault? I mean, all of these, all the bad ones, I can, I guarantee we can, we can uh, blame the creative and booking for them. Um, like this, this one was like they they had it. Just it was it was the easiest route ever. This guy who's super over, and a lot of those guys that you mentioned in that match were all like I can imagine all of them being money, Mister Money in the Bank. That's actually a pretty great Money in the Bank lineup for a match, mm-hmm. especially at that time where all those guys were at. But Braun didn't need it. He got it though. Okay, now you're guaranteeing us that he does this. And he has to be Mr. Nice Guy to Roman Reigns. Like, that doesn't... Why do they got to be nice to each other? They don't have to respect each other. Example, spoiler alert for those who haven't seen it, just passed Money in the Bank. It was Liv Morgan and Ronda Rousey. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like, Liv didn't, like, go out and shake her hand. Yeah, they embraced afterwards. Yeah, whatever. But they, like... it, It wasn't, oh, hey, let me shake your hand. Let me show you that I respect you first. And then let me beat you. No. Like, do the shit first, and then we can talk about how much we respect each other later. But doing it in advance, which it's not the first time this has happened, and it won't be the last, I guarantee it. But mm-hmm. just how frustrating, man. What the hell? Yeah. It does sound very frustrating the way you're putting it forward, and I, I think I can share in that frustration the way it was booked. But uh, we've got one more case to put forward for the worst Money in the Bank winners. And Daniel, they round us off for this first half of the debate. Well, let's cast our minds back to... Let's see. I'm trying to remember the date in my head now. AKA scrolling through Wikipedia to remind myself of that precise date. Uh, <laughs> Shite and Shingy, where was it? Oh, yes. It is 2013. And if you remember 2013, very interesting year. Um, We were just off the heels of what is the first first technical unsuccessful cash-in of a championship. And that being another case of someone uh, announcing ahead of time, hey, by the way, I'm going to challenge you on this date. And that was when Jolly Boy John Cena kind of done goofed. And, you know, he ended up... It wasn't even like there was a solid decision again like Ooh, Braun Strowman I think, I, think I think you got your dates wrong there Daniel when you said 2013 I thought you were meaning someone else I think Cena was 2012 the year before I'm prefacing the talk me oh right I see 
Don't you interrupt me, boy. <laughs> okay. As you were. Thank you. So with Cena's unsuccessful cash in that year, you thought it could, it could surely redeem itself, right? Uh-uh. Enter Damien Sandow. Now, the intellectual saviour of the masses was part of Team Rhodes Scholars at that point. And him and Mr. Rhodes were doing quite well for themselves. Ugh. It's it's a generic WWE team around the early 2010s. You can pretty much see the writing on the wall for this. So naturally, the Money in the Bank match was where everything started to go downhill. And Sandow throws Cody off of the ladder and takes the briefcase for himself. He is not Mr. Money in the Bank. He is Sir Money in the Bank. Get the title correct for this one. He then ends up uh, feuding with Cody Rhodes when they eventually split the team. Cody throws his briefcase into the Gulf of Mexico, which forces him to bring out the leather edition Money in the Bank briefcase. That thing looked really lovely, I will say. But then we go forward to the October 28th Raw, and it's the night after Hell in a Cell. So Cena was still sporting a bit... Uh, Cena had, his arm had been targeted quite a bit in the match the night before with Alberto Del Rio. And Sander was convinced Cena's arm was not back at 100%, even though Cena wasn't going to just outright say, yeah, sure, I'm not really like, feeling good. Because that's what, you know, honestly, they think champions would just go, yeah, I'm not really feeling good. Here's a chance to cash in on me. Go ahead. <laughs> so, sure enough, Sander attacks Cena. Says, you know what, I'm going to cash in right now. Hands over the briefcase, the match is going, and then Cena beats him. Now, there's a reason why I would say this is the worst one. And that's because Sander was on a really great upward trajectory going into winning Money in the Bank. It was like there was only one direction he could go. And then after this, he never quite got back there. Even with all the stuff with being Damien Mesdow, he never got back to that position. And then he ended up leaving. So, yeah, didn't really work out well for him. Mm. So it's almost like a case of like a, a fallen angel that never sort of fully recovered. Is that the best way to describe it? Yes, he uh, Christopher Daniels himself, is, if that's the way you want to describe it. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Ryan, I don't know how much you remember about this match, but I think this was the first time a Money in the Bank match featured uh, all heel superstars as well. So the booking decision for this one, I reckon, was going to be quite interesting, especially when you had Dean Ambrose as United States champion, a.k.a. John Moxley, who was still part of the Shield at that point. Like, what do you... Do you remember anything about the dynamic of this Money in the Bank ladder match? Because you know you would probably have a, a heel case holder from this match yeah so this is during my hiatus from wrestling so I don't actually remember watching it uh, at the time but we did cover it during the Cody Rhodes show briefly and mm. I remember right Cody Rhodes was the favourite to win it he almost became like semi face in that sense because people wanted him to win it uh, Damien Sander was definitely a surprise to some we'll say the least and probably should have went to Cody instead and uh, hindsight is helping that argument as well and it would have been lovely to see how that would have changed if it wasn't the case but yeah I don't think it was a a great one either and Chris just to sort of round off on that point there um, 
Damien Sandow was actually probably, again, one of the only people who won the briefcase but never actually held another championship prior to the briefcase. And the whole program with Cody from like SummerSlam up to the point of cashing in and even, you know, getting his own personalized briefcase in the same way that Otis did, you know, with the lunchbox, the leather briefcase with the, I think there was a bit of handcuffs on it as well, so he made sure he didn't lose it. Um, but do you think this had all the bookings of a potential new world champion star, but much like you argued with Braun Strowman, it was just a case of the rug being pulled out from under him? No. End of, end of, end of answer. No, but um, I, I, I firmly... I'm in the camp where I had to look up the the card again for this show because I I I was an adamant uh, fan. I just come back to uh, watching pro wrestling all the time and just looking at who was in the match with him. So you had mentioned Ambrose, Rhodes, uh, Fandango, Cesaro, Antonio Cesaro to be specific, a uh, Jack Swagger, and Wade Barrett. Full about the rest of that match, and it's crazy how really. I mean, probably at the time, Rhodes and Ambrose are the two best options, and maybe Cesaro. But Sandow taking this, it just didn't make sense to me then, and it doesn't make sense to me now. Like, I didn't buy Damian Sandow as a world champion at that point. And looking back at it, I really don't see... I, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't see that going well, and I still don't. Like, how do you think that's going to go well, especially when you have... Like the two ch- top champs at the time were Del Rio and Cena, but also, like it was just like, oh, so it was so weird. Like why Sandow? <laughs> and not that I dislike him, but what the hell? I the briefcase is cool, I guess. That mm-hmm. was a plus. But um, the one thing I wanted to mention from this card, this is also the same Money in the Bank pay review that had um. Orton, Christian, CM Punk, Daniel Bryan, Rob Van Dam, and Sheamus in the main event Money in the Bank match. Mm-hmm. So obviously one of these is way higher profile than the other. I think that one is significantly better than that because <laughs> it rules. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, definitely a, if I was to throw my two cents on this one, I think this had all the potential you know, for it to really be something, but they just decided not to go with Sandow in the end, which is a real shame. And as, you know, Ryan, you, we mentioned this on the Cody Rhodes show, I think the booking was all there for Cody to be the one to carry the briefcase forward. And as you said, hindsight is a wonderful thing. Uh, but I'm going to move over now to the community page where we have had some feedback on who they believe to be the worst money in the bank holders. So Jack Graham, straight away, he says Baron Corbin was the worst one. The only person after Sandow to actually lose a cash-in match, and in probably the worst way possible, dare I say. Nice. Uh, no, Hotney. No, no. That <laughs> you can't go hating on gender for life. <laughs> I know, I know. I've got to say, Don't I, still, the gender. I still have an autographed picture of him holding the WWE title. So That's awesome. I would say that's hating him many more, so... I still remember an intro of Ross gave you years ago. Yeah. I still remember, yeah. I think it was like... <laughs> I, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, unfortunately, but uh, Billy Strack like, said... He's gender and he's on Tinder. <laughs> Tinder my pal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Billy Strachan says he loved Sandow's briefcase, fit his style perfectly, but they absolutely bungled his cash in. It's like they thought about the presentation of the case being cool. Then when Sandow won, they realized they might actually have to do something with him. But he actually says his worst is Seamus because he didn't need it. His cash in was a bit of a deflation. We got a League of Nations out of it and a pointless way to have Roman beat him on Raw. He also said Corbin is a safe shout. given that he couldn't beat Jinder Mahal, regardless of the scene interference. <laughs> so yeah, I hear that he seems to be on tune with the, the gender hating here. But Ross McLeod has also said, uh, we often criticize WWE for not pushing people who organically get over. Otis is an example of doing that when someone's time in the spotlight is running out. He also hated that Otis was cost the briefcase and he never got his revenge on Take. <laughs> Take. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, also Kwaku said he would post an answer but he's currently enjoying his holiday on Cuba oh I don't blame him yeah (laughs) so when he comes back we have to refer to him as Kwaku Estrada if (laughs) if you get that reference Uh, exclusively yes (laughs) yeah you heard it here first yeah oh just to run one round one off Anthony Fitzpatrick says Sandow with the briefcase was dire so not a lot of uh not a lot of uh, Sandow love here, but then again, there was a few other names that cropped up. You know, Baron Corbin, Sheamus specifically. Otis came up a couple of times as well. So, um, I'll tell you what. I know you've all argued your case here, but if there's anybody in the list in the community post, I nearly said listeners league for a second. I forgot I'm on the wrong show. Um, yeah, can't yeah. There's any suggestions from the community? <laughs> if there's anybody from the community pages suggestions that you think actually put forward a good argument you know feel free to vote for them as well so let's take a vote now who do we think is the worst person to hold the money in the bank briefcase and remember the only rule is you can't vote for your own pick so ryan you started us off i'd like to get your vote and a reason why um it's a tough one but i think i'll go for braun Strowman. uh i think chris's arguments are very sound and very in, in depth but also it was uh, I remember hating hating everything about it, the circumstances around the, the cash-in. Uh, not so much the match itself, but the announcement of the match in advance. and uh, It was all just so messy, and I just think that's so much worse, because there, so, there was so much more potential with Braun Strowman than there is with the likes of Damien as well, which kind of fits more bitterness to it. So I'll go with Chris's suggestion of Braun Strowman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on that note, Chris... Uh... Who do you think was the worst? Oh, man. Um, I mean, I'd be lying if I said uh, the Corbin one didn't also cross my brain bad, when, bad. when thinking about what to do with this show. Um, but I am going to go with so Oh, sand. I'm going. I'm going to go sand out. I'm going to go sand out. All right. So, yeah. With okay, with Sandow, it there was no way it was happening. No way, Sandow was going to be world champion at that time. And during mm-hmm. the pandemic, I totally could have believed WWE putting the belt on Otis. For how long? I don't know. But I, I was scared that it was going to happen. Sandow, I, I, I didn't buy it then. I still don't buy it now. 
And oh god, what a mess that whole thing was. And talk about another money in the bank that killed some whatever momentum someone had. But I'm I'm picking Sandown. Fair enough. And Daniel wraps off. Do we have a tiebreaker or do we have a decider? Uh, I'll be honest, decider because I would also say out of the others, uh, Strowman was the one that just annoyed me to death. Like this, the run that he was going on, and they absolutely ruined it with that failed cash in and the shield angle that happened afterwards. It just mm-hmm. greatly hurt him. Okay. Um, well, we have a majority here, uh, but if I could throw my two cents in, I personally would have picked Otis. Yeah. It, yeah. Because yeah, <laughs> <laughs> out of the three, I think Ryan put forward a, a very solid case. As you know, there was no credibility. It didn't look like it was going to happen, and it felt more just like a joke than than trying to invest in future star. But majority rules here. That's how it works. So the worst Money in the Bank winner is Braun Strowman. So that's the Yay, bad money in the bank. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, on that note, let's jump straight into the best money in the bank winners. Some of our personal favorites and the ones, you know, that sort of defined how valuable the money in the bank briefcase really is. And this time we will go in reverse order. So Daniel, we're going straight back to you. Who do you think was the best money in the bank winner? Well, I look back at best money in the bank winners in different ways because I can look back at the ones who've had multiple wins in particular. And, you know, you could look at some things like CM Punk, who won two years back-to-back, both successful cash-ins both times. But then I can look at someone who started it all. You know, a man who won it and then woke up the next day thinking, on this day... I see clearly. So yes, my pick would be the rated R superstar Edge, but not the cash in that you think. Oh. Because no, I'm not going to go for the original cash in. That we've talked about that one to death on this like platform on different shows. I'm going to go to the other cash in that he did. So when the year the year's 2007, and the winner of that match was not Edge, it was Mr. Kennedy Kennedy, and <laughs> and uh, Mr. Kennedy Kennedy had kind of, you know, injured his shoulder. So he was not feeling good, so they had to naturally, of course, get the contract off him and onto someone else. And who should be that person? The rated R superstar, Edge. So Edge and Mr. Kennedy Kennedy, I'm going to call him that for the entirety of this. <laughs> keep going, keep going. Uh, <laughs> That's Edge and Kennedy Kennedy faced off in a match on Raw where Edge would win the contract if he could beat Mr. Kennedy Kennedy. And as such... <laughs> Mr. Kennedy Kennedy ended up losing the match and Edge became the holder of the money in the back briefcase and Mr. Kennedy Kennedy went off an injury leave so <laughs> I had to get one last one I'm going to mute myself <laughs> don't you need to pal <laughs> keep, so, like I said keep going so uh, with, with Kennedy Kennedy out of the picture Edge could move on to what he was going to do next so uh, rated RKO had fallen by the wayside. His attempts at getting John Cena's WWE Championship, most recently as as recently as Backlash, were not successful. So he thought he would change tactic. So fast forward to the same week, and on the May 11th SmackDown, 
The Undertaker and Batista were fighting in a steel cage match for the World Heavyweight Championship. At the end of the match, Batista and Taker, their feet had hit the floor at the same time. Oh my god, there's a draw! And then Mark Henry comes out and lamps the Undertaker. I'm guessing still bitter over that casket match that had happened well over 365 days prior, but nope, nope, no one's really counting unless your name's Mark Henry. So Edge would then appear afterwards and cash in on the Undertaker. And it would take two spears, much like it did with Jolly Boy John Cena, and Edge would pin the Undertaker and become the world heavyweight champion. He became a member of the SmackDown roster again, and this is what led him on the path to starting La Familia and his reign that would happen over SmackDown for the next few years. Yes, of course, there was that um, minor blip with an injury a couple of months later, but just, just cast that out of your mind for now. Cast that out of your mind for now. I mean, hell, he had that, and Kennedy Kennedy didn't really get much of a chance afterwards. As far as I'm aware, Kennedy Kennedy got renamed to Anderson Anderson and then left the com- company company. <laughs> <laughs> so I was holding it well there. Um, but yeah, so I would say in terms of just knowing the tack for cash and then Edge takes my pick on any occasion, but I will speak gladly about his second one this time. There it is. Yeah, I mean, to my TED talk. you know, sorry. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. All <laughs> right. Uh, but right, you know, Daniel actually raises a very good point there. You know, because we've discussed Edge's original cash in to death on this show. You know, Edge sets the precedent for how the money in the bank concept should be used. You know, cash in when the champion's vulnerable. But bear in mind as well, Mr. McMahon actually announced about 30 seconds ahead of time that he was going to be cashing in. So it wasn't as spontaneous as everyone thought, you know, or at least compared to other cash-ins were. But this one, I think, was probably the first time that not only did a winner cash in, like, with, with like, a moment's notice, but they actually jumped show and went to the other brand to cash in because... The, the original one was meant to be raw exclusive, but now this one was across both brands. Like, how genius of a play was that? Um, obviously, given that he'd done it before, and against such a big name like The Undertaker. Yeah, obviously, it's huge. Um, I, I'm, I still think you chose the wrong edge one. There's a reason why we, we talk about that one as often as we do. But yeah, um, the match was great. The way the cash-in was great. The crossover from Raw SmackDown, no one's at the time nobody thought we'd have saw that coming uh, not many at least and it certainly, as you said, set a precedent for future Money in the Bank wins so yeah, it definitely is up there but I don't think it's the best edge one mm. Okay uh, Well Chris, Ryan makes a good point there you know, it wasn't necessarily Edge's best cashing given that he's had two of them but as a, a Money in the Bank holder in general like, do you think he really sort of you know, he's basically the, the standard bearer for making, sort of pushing these upper mid-card guys towards the main event scene and knowing the right time to cash in, especially, you know, Undertaker just been through a cage match and has suffered an assault at the hands of Mark Henry. He was f- lying flat on his back, bleeding everywhere. And, you know, was there ever a more opportune time to use a golden ticket like Money in the Bank? You know, the ultimate opportunist um, got his nickname for a reason. 
and Edge was the 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 standard for Money in the Bank for many years, and this one being a part of that, I. I, I think like with these Money in the Bank matches, especially with guys who are already in the main event, you know, like they're in the main event picture. And when they get the briefcase, especially the way that Edge did, it was already kind of different, already differentiated it's himself from the one he had uh, prior. But the this, this whole situation behind this, you know, all the people that were involved, Batista, Mark Henry, The Undertaker, you Don't know. Forget Kennedy Kennedy. That, <laughs> oh, and uh, trust me, the company company didn't forget either. Um, but the the whole presentation of this one with all the name power, all oh, star power, I should say, and what it would lead to as well. Like that's another. That's a to me. That's that's what I take away from that second edge cash in was the bill with the Undertaker and or everything with the Undertaker. And how rad those matches were between the two of them, especially at that time. But like Edge, Edge is—he's always been the guy to um, just make the best out of the situations he's a part of, and to put people over in the process. Like, and again, those matches with the Undertaker, like probably the best stretch in the Undertaker's career in ring. And Edge is a big part of that. So, hell yeah. Edge was the shit, especially during that time when folks hated him. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just to sort of open this up to everybody here, like, this was actually Edge's last involvement with the Money in the Bank briefcase in any capacity because he'd never competed in future ladder matches. He'd never even got a whiff of, you know, facing the briefcase again, apart from that time where uh, Rollins nearly stomped his neck on the briefcase on the Cutting Edge show back in 2014. Punk <laughs> cashed in on him. Oh yes, Punk cashed in on him, yeah, the following year. I'm well remembered, yeah. But yeah, that was the... Sake, David. For God's sake. But, but yeah, that was the... stats, man. God's sake, yeah. I actually forgot Punk cashed in on Edge for his first one, but hey, what I mean was like, Edge wasn't involved in winning the briefcase or competing in a ladder match, but he was the victim of a cash-in. So I stand corrected on that one. But yeah, maybe it's because Edge is Kennedy, so busy Kennedy actually working his memories. Whoa, I got too many people spoke there. Like what? what? Was... <laughs> <laughs> All right, so one, one, one first. Yeah, one first. Chris, Here, first. I will. I'll say my piece. I I said <laughs> that it was because maybe Edge actually started working these main events at WrestleMania back when Money in the Bank was at WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a whole offshoot pay-per-view, which a lot of folks are clamoring for to go back to. But Edge was a part of those main events for the years to come before his retirement. Uh, not too long, or a few years after this, but like Edge like graduated from it, you know? It wasn't really his spot anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was the, exactly the phrase I was looking for. He almost graduated to the main event scene and, you know, the WrestleMania main event scene as world champion. So, and it just goes, I think he definitely is the prime example of, you know, the briefcase elevating his superstar to that main event level, especially like 2005, 2007, where he was so close, but he just needed that glass ceiling moment to break through. And to be fair, I think Daniel's example of the second cash in did that in a lot of ways. Um, But yeah, I think that's actually a very good 
very good argument to put forward there. You know, Edge as one of the best ones. So moving on now to Chris, I think you've got some big rated R size boots to fill here uh, with your case, but I'd like to hear who you've got as your favorite Money in the Bank winner. Now, before I go, I want to preface that the ones that we're going to mention are all cool. They're all rad. None of them are bad. We already talked about the bad ones. These are all the good ones. And to me, this is the goodest one. This is the one that um, folks weren't expecting, especially how long it stuck with us and who it, it was who was the the linchpin of this cash in. So let me take you back to a year. It's 2012, right? 2012 Ooh. in WWE, really rough time for the company. You know, we're really banking on the big stars that we have. And by big stars, I mean Cena is on a is on a level of his own, and then there's a bunch of other main event guys, and then there's everybody else. Right? It's a really weird time in WWE. And there's a, there's a guy who had who's been in the world title scene before with Edge, funny enough. And his name is Dolph Ziggler. Mm-hmm. Dolph Ziggler goes to Money in the Bank in 2012, wins the match, and he gets a world heavyweight championship opportunity somewhere within the next year okay great boy do they stretch that year out as far as they possibly can because my man's pretty busy you know working chris jericho working randy orton getting damn close to the world title in between all that with the with the money in the bank briefcase and going to survivor series uh retiring chris jericho at least well he thought was retiring chris jericho uh, working Cena, everything with AJ Lee and Vicky Guerrero. He had a busy year. Dolph Ziggler was was definitely featured on TV, and all this time he was still the Money in the Bank uh, contract holder. So we get to WrestleMania of 2013, so WrestleMania 29, and Ziggler, and at the time uh, a big beefy meat man by the name of Big E Langston, lose. To Team Hell No at WrestleMania. Oh, that sucks. What a bummer. But the most anticipated show of the entire year that's not a premium live event is the Raw after WrestleMania. Everyone's tuning in, everyone's anticipating big moments, big debuts. And I like to think that Dolph Ziggler's cash in against Alberto Del Rio. On the 2013 Raw after WrestleMania, not only is the epitome of why we all look forward to that show, but it also shows us that at any time, the crowd can dictate who can pop into the main event scene, right? And I'll I'll talk about, um, like, you know, I don't want to spoil other people's picks, but Edge was already a guy where he was he was already Edge, you know? He was, the, he was the shit before he really graduated to being one of the greatest of all time. But Edge was, at the time, a very believable world champion. And not only with his multiple 
catching attempts that he had, he proved that already years prior. Dolph Ziggler was the guy that was the king of the mid card, U.S. title reigns, intercontinental title reigns, um, and then a bunch of tag titles in, in between that, all that fun stuff. But he only ever really crossed the threshold one time, and it was because Vicky Guerrero gave him the belt. You know, he didn't really topple Edge. And Edge came back after getting the spear banned and beat him anyway. So it wasn't like anything crazy. But once he split from Vicky and he aligned himself with Biggie Langston and AJ Lee, this threesome really got super over in WWE. And over the course of time where folks were loving this pairing or loving this group, this little baby group, and growing to hate Alberto Del Rio, which almost a decade, decade later still stands. We go to WrestleMania 29. They lose, but the next night, Alberto Del Rio selling his his leg injury, his ankle injury in the ring, and then I'm here to show the world. I'm here to show the world, and the the arena explodes. One of the loudest reactions to this day. Mm-hmm. This happened almost a decade later, and Ziggler doesn't run. He just power walks to the ring. Alberto Del Rio looking him straight in the eye. Like, oh, shit, here we go. And it wasn't even a one-sided affair. A lot of these cash-ins are one-sided. The guy's already down. The guy is, or the guy or gal is already incapacitated. All they got to do is stand up, get hit with a finish, and take the pin. That didn't happen in this. This actually had stakes. The real fought back. There was a point where, oh, my God, Ziggler's going to lose. How unprecedented. Ziggler was going to lose the Money in the Bank cash-in. What year is this? And he gets the zigzag. One, two, three. Dolph Ziggler is the new World Heavyweight Champion. And the place loses its damn mind again. And yeah, the subsequent World Heavyweight Championship reign wasn't the greatest it wasn't like uh, any. It's it's not the the Hall of Fame world world title reign that folks want, but I think it's more of a testament to where WWE was at the time, and not really on Ziggler because Ziggler obviously has the charisma and he's a great in ring worker. But that moment, he was slingshotted to the main event, the top of the card, because of that money in the bank. From a guy who has been working the mid-card forever and was not in main event programs for a while before this. They gave him the World Heavyweight Championship in this great moment that is the highlight of his career. This is, this is the mm. one thing that Ziggler has. And because he's been, you know, you can say what you want about him squandering around now, just hanging out and catering, waiting to get his number called. But... That that is unforgettable. I will yeah. never forget that. Mm. I guarantee y'all will never forget it either. No, you, you, you're quite right there. I mean, I was watching this live in Canada on a ski trip, and I lost my mind when the music played, you know, Here to Show the World came on, and the crowd was lively that night. The, the reaction alone was was amazing. But, Ryan, let's not take away from the fact that Dolph Ziggler, as Chris mentioned, had to go through a, a lot of stuff before he finally got his dues to, to cash in, because I th- believe he's the only winner to have defended the contract twice 
over the course of holding it. Uh, as mentioned against Chris Jericho after SummerSlam in the contract v. contract match, and then against John Cena in at TLC in 2012 as well, where AJ turned on Cena and aligned herself with, with Ziggler. Like, how many hoops could did one guy have to go through just to, you know, get his way into a world title reign, never mind, you know, somebody that, who was actually starting to turn the fans in their favor and somebody who was just hyping themselves up to the point where like this guy is completely believable as someone who's going to cash in and win. Yeah. So, uh, certainly in a busy year, <laughs> I'll give them that. And it was very clear that they wanted to like everything was against them. But I'd also, I also would say that this also gave them, the, how many months it was? It was more than half a year, wasn't it? It was like nine months or something. Two hundred two hundred and sixty-seven days. It was the fourth longest reign of any Money in the Bank holder. Yeah, and during that run, he was in essentially he, he was wrestling like world champions and themselves. Like he wasn't mid card and his way through this, and it was uh, it was shown the potential that he had, and that he, if he could win the belt of whoever it would be, uh, Alberto Del Rio was the case. Um, that he could retain it and it was believable. So yeah, I'll give credit to that. Uh, I think it was mm-hmm. very good. And the pop as well, as you mentioned, the pop was great. Yeah, and Daniel, the night before at WrestleMania, you know, you could tell the Alberto Del Rio Jack Swagger program wasn't going great, especially when Swagger was hit with a DUI literally weeks before. Um, and people were still chanting for Ziggler at WrestleMania. Like, do you think, regardless of how good the the pop was and the, the Raw after with that very lively crowd, do you reckon it would have been any sweeter if he was the first to cash in at WrestleMania against Del Rio? I mean, the Del Rio swagger program was already suffering even well before the DUI. Like, remember that Swagger and Coulter received that much backlash for their gimmick that they actually had to go and make a public video on YouTube to say, look, we're not racist people. These are the characters we are portraying on TV. It's kayfabe, yeah. Yeah. They had to actually explain that to people. And, like, I really did not care for that program at all, watching that WrestleMania. I was more interested in Punk and Taker that year. Like, literally, I mean, hell, if we were going to have Ziggler cash in at WrestleMania... I wouldn't have even had him do the World Heavyweight title. I'd have thrown oh. like a complete wrench in there. Cash in on Cena after he beats The Rock. Ooh, see, slight problem with that. Because, remember, there was two Money in the Bank ladder matches that year. One was for the WWE title, one was for the World Heavyweight title, specifically. So Ziggler could only cash in on the World Heavyweight Champion anyway. That would have ruled, though, if he cashed but yeah, in Cena. You're right, though. I mean, if it, you not if it was allowed, you know, that would have been here, Mr. Hopney. And he gives us the moment we want. I'm a, I'm a logistics guy, you know. I have to report it like it is, and I'm sorry it doesn't fit, you know, the the fantasy booking criteria. But I tell you what, I on the subject of fantasy that. booking, it would be amazing if he cashed in after uh, the massive lie that was uh, Cena Rock once in a lifetime. And <laughs> he was a heel at the time too. Yep. Like, and the reaction that he would have gotten, regardless of when he cashed in, regardless of who he cashed in on. Like he would, the fact that he got such a massive pop as a heel, not even like a little like 
um, like a little tweener anyway. Like he was full on bad guy, his bad guy friends, and the arena was like, "Thank Christ, it's Dolph Ziggler," and they applauded him for it. And again, I don't want to go into his reign because I think it it lasts like two months because my man got hurt. But it was God, it was so cool. And but against Cena would have been even better after beating The Rock. <laughs> Tell you what, that would have been a ending WrestleMania 29 on a high note if that was the case. But um, just to sort of wrap up this argument on Dolph Ziggler, I, I don't know if you guys remembered the, the ladder match or the hype before it himself, because this was a time when Ziggler was hosting one of WWE's YouTube shows. It was kind of a kind of like a version of um, America's Funniest Home Videos a little bit. But he always... He was always given free reign to sort of deliver his own promos whilst hosting. And there was one towards the end. It's like, this is the sort of thing you can't make, uh, like, you know, with writing staff, with bookers, etc. You don't have to go out and just be a character. You just have to go out and just be the best at what you do. I don't know if you guys, any of you guys were convinced by that point that Ziggler was going to be the one to win the contract at that point. Like, what, what do you think? I mean, I was a big Ziggler mark at the time anyway. I still am. So I was, I was going to root for him regardless, but he always just had this different fight, this, this different type of energy and this fire that you always would see in his character, whether he was still doing the, oh yeah, perfection, he was still doing all that, uh, or yeah. even through the stuff with The Miz in 2016, right? It was all like, you saw a through line between all of that and the, the, the guy's energy never changed. Shit, even with the stuff of Bobby Roode, the Dirty Dogs recently, he gives he gives it 110%. And not too many folks can say they matched Ziggler's energy within WWE over the last decade. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan, Daniel, you guys get anything to add to that? No, I'd maybe just say more <laughs> that with, um, like how Ziggler was being portrayed, particularly that year prior, um, like he, he had, like even like two years before, he held the world title for like all five minutes against Edge on a SmackDown. It was about time that he got a proper run with the title. The only thing I hate was just that it was so beset with injuries. Mm-hmm. Like he could have had a brilliant run going into the summer. He could have even held it to SummerSlam and beyond. But you know, we we got we got him with the title for a while, and then it only took them a bit another 10 year before they gave him the NXT title. So, you know, we'll take it. Yeah. Take what I can get at this point. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's close off the best money in the bank winners debate with Ryan Douglish. Ryan, who have you got for us? So for, for this was a uh, quite a easy one for me. I think, uh, looking back at all the winners and we're going back to 2014 West Jurnar kind of, 50-50 sided if you're happy with it or not during the 30 years with uh, when Seth Rollins won the, the ladder match at Money in the Bank. Um, I just, I, I feel like this was so special, obviously the heist of the century, but we'll get to that. Uh, I just thought the journey there as well was just another level for me. I really enjoyed it, especially the programme with Dean Ambrose in the early parts of that, uh, holding the Money in the Bank briefcase. Uh, so he wins the match. Um, Dean Ambrose was in the match as well. He was injured uh, or was kayfabe taken away injured, comes back to attack him. 
uh, Rollins when he's about to get the briefcase, and then Kane shows up, just like you might see a recurrent theme, and stops them from happening. So Seth wins because the whole idea is that Seth, no matter what, he'll be given what he needs. He gets everything. He's like the first child, like myself. He gets everything he wants. Perfect. And then, so he wins the match. He, he then feuds with Dean Ambrose at the fo- following pay per view at Battlegrounds. Summer kind of idea. Uh, Dean Ambrose gets banned from the arena, comes back, attacks uh, Seth Rollins after he gets the referee to clear himself the winner and hold his ha- ar- arms up. Authority get involved, break it all up. Summer Slam, the Lumberjack match, which I think was amazing watching it back, by the way, because you've got all sorts of characters in there that are uh, in a variety of parts of the card now. But the Lumberjacks are like the worst Lumberjack in history because of the fight in the crowd. A usual yeah. authority step comes in, stops it all, they start brawling anyway. Uh, then the following night on Raw, Ambrose uh, uh, he beats Ambrose again in a false cut anywhere, where again Kane interferes. See where I'm going with this. May I also add that during this time, there was a lot of Mountain Dew on the commentary tables and none <laughs> of it was drank. <laughs> Every single one of the bottles I saw in all the pay-per-views I watched, I did my research not one sip was taken of that Mountain Dew. Uh, says a lot. Um, anyway, Night of Champions scheduled to face Roman. Roman's out. So he has an open challenge. Uh, Ambrose shows up. Uh, authority stops the brawl. Uh, the authority stops the brawl. Bloody blast. Same old story, right? But I just love this dynamic of just Ambrose being this person that no matter what you do, I'm the little cockroach, I'm going to go in there and fight Rollins no matter what. And then Rollins getting, oh, come help me, come help me, and authority comes to fix everything. Uh, just that dynamic of it, I just love the storyline. Even beyond this, uh, when Orton falls out with the authority as well, because he, he's no longer the, the number one, uh, the pet, the, the favourite one. So they feud, so they go to WrestleMania. Uh, as you know, WrestleMania 31, they that a great match, I loved that match where they had the uh, the stomp, which became the RKO. Uh, I thought that was really good, which then obviously led to the heist of the century when Rollins ran down that ramp, to everyone's surprise, cashes in on Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar, and then pins Roman Reigns for the championship. And I, I, think, I think that match alone is legendary. I think the cash-in mm. was brilliant, and I, I generally think there's little that can... Uh, could be, be closer or better to it in my opinion at least mm. yeah I, I think this is one of the most talked about cash-ins we've discussed on the show before and for good reason but Daniel much kind of like Dolph Ziggler you know I think Seth Rollins was still featured in a lot of heavy heavy duty programs over the 270-ish days that he held the contract for because you know he was feuding with uh, I think he had he was facing John Cena uh, at TLC at the end of the year to determine, to make sure Cena didn't get his number one contenders match. He went against Cena again and at Survivor Series, and then Ryan obviously mentioned in the outstanding series he had against Dean Ambrose. So, definitely a, a very busy year for for the Messiah, and he even ended up getting a, a world title match at the 2015 Royal Rumble, which he was basically challenging for the world title while still holding the briefcase. Like, how interesting was that dynamic, knowing that, you know, a Money in the Bank winner was still getting a world title match with another one already, well, for lack of a better phrase, in the bank? 
It was a very interesting perspective because I remember sitting there thinking genuinely, had it not gone his way and were he still feeling relatively okay, he could have very easily just went, that's nice, stomp, cash in, title for me, that's you. That danger was always there. But looking at how Rollins was booked between winning the contract and cashing in, writing's on the wall he was meant he was going to be getting great things. I mean, hell, him and Ambrose had a decent Hell in a Cell match. Uh, he had J&J Security doing you know, all the bidding for him. J&J Security still, I think, one of the best double acts in WWE. <laughs> uh, I will not hear any arguments going against this. Thank you very much. Um, best double act since Kennedy Kennedy. So, uh, with how the booking <laughs> went going into WrestleMania, he's so... Like, the best book they did was they misdirected. He was so focused on Randy Orton going into Mania that you almost completely forgot, hey, wait, he's got that contract. Yeah. So then when his music hit during the Reigns and Lesnar match... You see everyone in the front row go, oh, fuck, yeah! <laughs> and that was that was us at home also just like, Shh, this is actually happening! And then there's that image, him standing there on the ramp doing that ridiculous fucking helicopter spin with the title. <laughs> the monster swing, yeah. Yep, and Michael Cole with the call, you know, Seth Rollins with the heist of the century. Like, picture perfect. Hmm. I, Chris, let's actually talk about the cash-in itself because the main event of that WrestleMania was Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns. And it was a little bit up in the air because, you know, booking-wise, it was a little bit all over the place given that, you know, Brock said it was on a UPN show, I think it was, where he said he just re-signed for an extension where people thought he was going to leave after WrestleMania and that Roman was very much the next, next in line to be, you know, the face of the company, essentially, and people weren't happy with it at that point, especially after what happened at the Royal Rumble the same year. So, and now this was also the first time where Money in the Bank winner actually cashed in mid-match, made it a triple threat, and that it basically ruled the initial match as as null and void. So, Rollins was the only person to walk away as a winner, and neither Brock nor Roman would get that honour. So, what do you remember about that booking decision, and the dynamic of it in general going into WrestleMania. I mean, I remember everything about it. It was the talk of the town. It was the big, like how I know typically Michael Cole, when they, when they feed him lines to really emphasize how big of a deal something is for the love of mankind, it comes off really corny. <laughs> um, but the heist of the century thing, it, that is the, if you didn't think Seth Rollins was a main event guy, that's your moment. That's it right there. And the fact that he did it mid-match, he had wrestled a few hours earlier, and he pinned Roman Reigns, and they do the whole, like, uh, he thanks him for it, and um, the fake-out with uh, Brock catching him for the F5, and then Roman spearing Brock, like... I remember the whole finish to that because it, it really it stuck with me over the last what seven years that happened. Damn. Mm. Um, but also, like WWE was at a different time where they were, I think they were on the up and up. You know, from like late 2014 around that Survivor Series that y'all mentioned with the Authority, um, all the way through 2015. Like I loved Rollins with the belt. I thought it was it made for some great TV. 
and just the the whole presentation of the main event and how big of a deal it was. And we were talking about earlier with Ziggler, what if he cashed in that mania? I think what we saw with Rollins would have happened exactly with Ziggler. Same thing. Crowd erupt crowd erupting, making it a big deal. And the and the the new guy, the new appointed guy holding the belt to end the show would would have made for a great visual, but they waited years to do it with Rollins after um doing the whole cashing in at WrestleMania thing. And I I think that that moment is probably what top five WrestleMania moments ever. Mm. It's hard to it's it's hard to not give it its flowers. Just watch the reaction and feel the goosebumps again. Lord knows I did it when I rewatched when I rewatched a couple months ago. Like that match, the little cash in and when his music hits, it rules. It's so good. Yeah, I, I remember watching it with a bunch of the the team here at my old house. A few like. We're watching it live, and I was I was flabbergasted when it he came out, and I'm thinking, wait, can he do this mid match? Because it was the first time I'd ever right. seen it. And when Lillian yeah. announced, oh, it's now a triple threat, I just went, okay, let's just go with it. <laughs> so it was, yeah, it was. It really was quite a, a moment, and the win itself. I mean, what a shocker! It was an absolute thunderbolt of a decision. Uh, but yeah. Definitely, I think it's definitely up there as one of the most talked about WrestleMania moments, uh, let alone one of the best Money in the Bank winners moments, shall we say. But we do have some input from the community page again. Back at it again with Jack Graham. Somebody that's not been mentioned but was actually quite interesting. Brock Lesnar as Mr. Money in the Bank. you know, And he's not the only one because Anthony Fitzpatrick also says Boombox Brock was the best. <laughs> I mean, sure, Lesnar only held the title for a short time, like 56 days to be exact. But just wanted to quickly get you guys' thoughts on what could have been Boombox Brock or Brock Party, as it were. I, I personally loved the Boombox Brock. I know it was a bit, a lot of people loved it or hated it. I also want to mention there was, a, I think it was our Raw episode where uh, it's where Brock Lesnar finally realized he's got a full year to cash in. And like Paul Heyman's going, how did you not know? <laughs> slapping, <laughs> he's slapping them with a bit of paper. Yeah. Uh, so I do love that. I always think about that as a choice. Uh, I think it was really good. But a lot of people didn't like it either. Aye. Uh, couple of, uh, yeah, a couple of guys thinking Brock Lesnar was best. Billy Strachan adds in, he says the best was Edge. The briefcase was treated as a constant threat. It was defended and it was cashed in perfectly. I mean, it's it's hard to argue with that, but now comes the point where we have to decide who is the best Money in the Bank winner of all time. So we've had you guys present your cases. The community pages had their say, but now it's time to cast your votes. Are you going to vote for one of the other panelists or are you going to side with one of the community uh, community members? Daniel, you presented first. So I'd like to get your vote and why. Uh, you think your pick is the best Money in the Bank winner? I would say that this pick is the best Money in the Bank winner because he is Mr. <laughs> Seth freaking Rollins. <laughs> okay. Heist of the century. What Heist more the... do you need to say? All right, so you're going with Ryan's pick. All right, Chris, who do you think? Oh, gosh. Uh, for the record, I was one of the few that didn't like that when Brock won the briefcase. 
Um, the whole yeah, boombox thing was funny. It's great. How we won it was my problem. Um, yeah, like it was Mustafa, like Mustafa, just pull pull the briefcase down. Why are you watching his entrance? Um, but come on, there's I said I can't vote for my own because I I I stand by mine being my it's my favorite. I think it's the best one, especially with the circumstances. But mm-hmm. I can't vote for my own. I almost have to say Seth Rollins. I'm going to like Seth. Seth, yes. that is that that moment in time. Like I uh, like y'all. I watched it with a bunch of buddies of mine, and we lost our collective shit. Mm-hmm. And it was it was a moment where you didn't think it was possible. You, you think you couldn't didn't think it would happen. And the little baby match that we got after the the boar fest of Reigns and Lesnar. Like Rollins saved that main event as well, and that's something that um, a lot of folks don't—at least I, the folks I talk to—they don't mention as much. Like Rollins saved the main event at WrestleMania 31, mm-hmm. and like he, his moment and the subsequent uh, title reign and what he would do as world champion—it was just an extension of the <laughs> and everything that we saw with him <laughs> leading up to that. Seth is so good in that moment. It's probably after Kofi winning the world championship. Seth cashing in is probably my favorite WrestleMania moment of all time. Mm, uh, the Kofi win was Kofi Mania running wild. That was that was huge, yeah. But I think I think we've got a majority here. But Ryan, let's just hear who you've picked for your best Money in the Bank winner. That isn't your own pick. Nah, who cares? I've won already. Doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> nah, nah, nah. Come on, keep in spirit with the debate here. <laughs> Fine. fine. Uh, or you'll be uh, give us a pick, or you'll be permanently stuck on work experience mode. Right. Okay. I'm gonna go with the edge setting cash. In. There we go. That's <laughs> it. I just, I just think. I just think. I, I, uh, I still think it wasn't even the best edge one. I think it's uh, in terms of the, the run and what it did for his career afterwards is bigger than it did for Dolph's, and I just think that's a slight edge for me. Mm. So I'm gonna go with edge. Yeah. Again, I'll throw my two cents in. I would have actually said Dolph Ziggler, given how many hoops he had to jump through. Thank and you. The, the pop alone from the Raw After Mania on what was probably the best crowd I've ever watched. It's you, you just can't ignore a cash in that big, especially, you know, when it's somebody who was, you know, holding it for best part of a year and he finally got his dues. He won it the proper way rather than just being handed it. It was, yeah, unforgettable. But all you guys put forward some excellent cases. But as always democracy prevails once again we have a majority verdict and the best money in the bank winner is seth freaking rollins rollins i feel like we would have gotten a lot of shit <laughs> if we didn't vote for seth rollins yeah no I, I agree i think rollins would have <laughs> rollins would have probably been my second choice as well uh but yeah i think ryan you put a very solid argument over as to why you know he he went through so much you know he got his world title match he was still in main event scenes and the heist of the century you know i think daniel cam daniel said it best it was um yeah heist of the century what more needs to be said but yeah so there we have it that's been the feature show for money in the bank winners uh, our best money in the bank winner is seth freaking rollins and the worst money in the bank winner is braun strowman so if you agree or disagree with the final verdict, let us know on our community page on Facebook. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Suplex Retweet. And be sure to follow us on Spotify, iTunes, Anchor, and all good Android podcasting sites to catch this and all the great content we have coming up in the next 
few weeks. Now, uh, coming up next time, we will have uh, Randy Orton Part 2 uh, for a profile show hosted by yours truly yet again and with hopefully uh, most of the panel returning on this one as well. Hopefully, Scott will be joining us too. So we'll be back on your airways um uh, not too far in the distant future. So keep an eye out for all the great content we've got coming out. We've got Central coming out, uh, Saturday Draft Live, the, probably the only show you need to really be worried about, especially if you're in the, as part of our fantasy draft. So you can catch all the the scoring and all the, the race to the, the title scene uh, every Saturday afternoon. But all that remains for me to be said is thank you to my panel, Ryan Dalgleish. Absolute pleasure. Chris Anthony Lopez. Dolph Ziggler, you deserve your flowers too, man. <laughs> and Daniel Campbell. Mr. Kennedy Kennedy. Thank you, thank you, David, David <laughs> <laughs> uh, And I've been David Hockney. This has been the SSR Feature Show, and we will see you next time. <laughs>